on the job with Francis Leach and Sally Rugg. It's On The Job, the podcast all about making your working life better. My name is Francis Leach. My name is Sally Rugg, and not necessarily everything I say on the podcast will represent the views of my employer. How are you going, Francis? Oh, you know, we've had better weeks. Look, I, we are still in COVID lockdown, like lots of people around Australia, and we know and feel for you as, as this drags on. Uh, I'm in St Kilda East. I'm in the hot spot of hot spots in Melbourne at the moment. And it was weird, Sally, because... Uh, I've known this community for 20 years. I've lived here for 20 years and my local shopping centre, Carlisle Street, is now basically a giant no-go zone because of the number of exposure sites and there's just a sense of dread around here at the moment which has been magnified by recent events and I got a sense of foreboding about it on the weekend because it was a beautiful weekend and I went for a ride on my bike and sort of rode past the local park and thought, oh, there's lots of people about it. It looked like a day on the green. People, you know, kids in playgrounds and people having barbecues and then I rode down Ormond Road in Elwood and they were serving drinks on the street and everyone's out on the street and I'm thinking, oh, this is a beautiful day for it, but I just, this doesn't feel good. This is not going to hold. And sure enough, a couple of days later, that's sort of not necessarily representative of those particular spots or events, but that psychology that people had just let themselves off the chain was represented in the outbreak. And, and here we are all again being smacked in the face by the wet COVID fish of reality. Yeah, kind of the vignette you just described is sort of kind of like one of those too good to be true beginnings of a horror movie. Like that's kind of how it's turned out to be. Yeah, it really was. It was a beautiful weekend. You just got a scent of spring thinking, how wonderful is all of this? But the one good thing is that I have got my second vaccination. So I had my little moment on Monday, and we've talked about this in the past, that if you want to get a sense of progress in this, it's a very personal thing. But getting vaxxed really is that. I did feel, you've talked about it too, that sense of elation and deep satisfaction and gratitude going in there and getting my second jab and thinking, wow, I've gone through that process now and I'm one more statistic closer to us having a fighting chance to get back to some sort of normal life. So I cannot stress how important it is to get vaccinated and how much of a service you are actually doing for everyone else when you do, Sally. That's so great, mate. Double vaxxed. Well done. So I went and saw my GP last week to have the conversation about AstraZeneca and she let me know that I was actually eligible for Pfizer. And I was like, oh, okay. So I went online to try and book a Pfizer and there's no appointments. Well, there are appointments, but I'd have to wait a couple of weeks for a Pfizer appointment. And I just thought to myself, like, the best vaccine for me is the one that's available today. So I booked in for an AstraZeneca jab and I got that the following day and I feel great. I mean, the day afterwards I felt a bit sore, but I feel great now. Like, And psychologically I feel really strong. I feel like for the first time since the pandemic's begun, I feel a little bit more in control of my health and like that I have control over my health outcomes. So yeah, I'm feeling really good. And it was so easy to get AstraZeneca. And when I arrived at the vaccination center, you know, they must've given me a sticker that sort of coded me a certain way, or maybe they can just tell that I'm under 60, who knows. But all the, um, the health professionals and the nursing staff 
they were all just like, oh, my God, thank you so much. We're so happy to see you. Oh, this is the best. Oh, we're so happy. So, yeah, it made me feel like a real rock star. Well, I mean, the fact is that they want to see younger people taking the initiative and, and breaking through that COVID hesitancy, which is holding us all back from making progress with this thing. So well done to you. And thank you once again to all those healthcare professionals. If you do encounter one as you go and get vaccinated, it is not too much to, to almost materially say thank you and express your gratitude because they are on the front line of facing this disease down day in, day out, moment by moment. And it's your opportunity to give them a bit of a morale boost as well and, and let them understand just how important what they're doing is to your life and the lives of others. When we think about what we're going through, Sally, in the west of Sydney at the moment, it's magnified in many ways because of the prevalence of the outbreak, the intensity of it, and what seems to be in the intractable problems in relation to that. So on today's pod, I thought we'd talk to the people on the ground there about how Western Sydney is coping with it, how they feel about the way their particular communities are being portrayed and what the next steps are for them to make it better for people in the vast area of Australia where so many people live better and for them to make those steps towards a COVID-free life. So let's catch up now with Billy Sankovic, who's the Chief Executive Officer of the Western Sydney Community Forum. On the job with Francis Leach and Sally Rung. Billy, welcome to On the Job. How are you? Hi, Francis. Hi, Sally. Good to be here. And thanks so much for having me on today. Can we just start about how you're feeling in relation to dealing with the pandemic and the work that you do with the Western Sydney Community Forum and the demands that are on you? How are you coping personally? Yeah, you know, thanks for asking that. And I'm actually sitting in the middle of southwest Sydney at the moment. You know, personally, I'm feeling fine. I've had both my jabs, so I'm feeling strong. I'm feeling healthy. I'm feeling confident and, you know, just really getting on. But, um, you know, from a professional perspective, of course, Western Sydney Community Forum is the Social Development Council for the Greater Western Sydney area. So we reach across the entire area and the um, community services system. So we're right in the thick of it and really no time to breathe at the moment. We're located deep in each of the local government areas, particularly those ones with those extended lockdowns. But there's so much work going on on the ground. And I and I have to say, it's fantastic that the community has just banded together to really support each other and to really provide that critical information that helps us to get through this and to get vaccinated. A lot of our listeners, I imagine, have heard some things in the press over the last few weeks, some sort of commentary, either coming from people in the media or from politicians and the like who are quite critical of Western Sydney and sort of what I perceive to be quite blaming and shaming. And I I wondered how it feels to be a community going through this lockdown to be told or to hear sort of like, well, it's not even a real lockdown or, you know, well, maybe they just don't understand, you know, how serious this is and all all the negative things that um, have been rolling around the public discourse for a while. How, How does that feel? Sally, that's a great question and I'm glad you asked and I've been answering that question all day, every day, it feels for, you know, so many weeks now. But let me just be clear from the outset, Western Sydney is half of Sydney's population and it's around 40% of the New South Wales population. You know, it, it just surprises me all the time when people 
you know, describe Western Sydney as this sort of micro area of Sydney and, you know, use this stereotype to characterise, you know, 40% of the New South Wales population. So I think it's really important for us to understand um, that Western Sydney is extraordinarily huge, but not only is it huge, it's also so rich with diversity and I'm always inspired by the level of talent and skill and passion in the area. And, you know, what we've seen, of course, in the last few weeks and now better understand, Western Sydney is actually, you know, key to ensuring that we, and certainly in New South Wales, live our lives. We're the essential workers. We're looking after you or looking after us. You know, they're they're looking after us when we're in hospital, looking after our elderly parents, keeping our lights on, keeping the the water flowing. So, you know, I mean, it's really important to understand when we talk about Western Sydney, what Western Sydney really is. In terms of the narrative around Western Sydney, you know, I was listening to a press conference recently where a public figure was talking about southwestern Sydney and southwestern Sydney in the context of Western Sydney is well over a million people. And in the same breath, there was this comparison made with a place in, in New South Wales in Sydney called Janelli, and with this implication that there was a point of comparison or that there was a like sort of reasonable likeness between the areas. But, you know, southwestern Sydney has over a million people. Janelli has, I'm pretty sure, around five or 6,000. So one case in Janelli is equivalent proportionately to at least a couple of hundred cases in southwestern Sydney. So I think it's really important for us to understand this. So the emphasis on the public stage around compliance, around Western Sydney, has just really perpetuated those stereotypes and those myths, I think, and has really not been helpful to get us through this and to really support each other to get the information we need, get the vaccinations and to, you know, access the services that we need to get through this. Billy, we talked about the essential workers element of the community and how vital it is. And I was writing about this this week that whilst the pandemic biologically is indiscriminate, this is not a burden that is equally shared by all sections of the community. It is, in fact, uh, those people who live in communities uh, that are lower socioeconomic and more culturally diverse maybe have more challenging living arrangements because of capacity to pay and to house people. These are the communities that are more likely to be exposed and particularly those in insecure work where they're having to work and roll the dice a little bit on whether they're feeling a little bit ill. Do they go and get paid or do they stay home and be sick or will they lose their job? Is that a dynamic that you see in play in communities in Western Sydney? Absolutely, Francis. Absolutely spot on. So there's a couple of elements to our thinking and our experiences around that. Firstly, we've always known this. COVID didn't teach us that those people who are already experiencing some level of vulnerability or socioeconomic sort of challenges are the ones hardest hit. And this is in normal times, if I can use that term normal, um, pre-COVID times rather. But COVID really brought that to the fore. And that certainly in Western Sydney, where there are some pockets where people do experience socioeconomic disadvantage, these areas were hardest hit. 
as a result of COVID's onset last year, and they continue to be hardest hit. And I think the current situation in terms of getting some control of um, the spread in uh, Sydney absolutely relates to essential workers and the fact that I hear stories every day from families, people on the ground who live in the region that say, look, if I don't go to work, I don't get paid. I can't pay my bills. I can't feed my family. Like at the end of the day, these are the fundamentals. I feel fine. I, I'm an essential worker. And, you know, the, it's all very well, you know, if you're able to work from home and you work in an industry that continues to provide secure adequate employment and income, that's all very well. But when you're an essential worker, you're in insecure in, uh, employment, you you know that no work is no money, no food and no electricity. Well, you know, that certainly drives your decision-making. Earlier in, in our chat, you sort of referred to the I can't remember how you put it, but you were sort of talking about the talent and the creativity and enterprise of communities under these really, really strict lockdowns um, in your area. And I just wondered if you had any sort of anecdotes of community projects or mutual aid projects that have come together. Like I remember here in northern Melbourne where I live, there were these Facebook groups that immediately popped up and people were volunteering to sort of like run errands and give various supports to people. And I'm, I'm wondering, is that the sort of thing that you're seeing in your immediate community and the communities beyond there as well? Absolutely. As well as hearing these stories every day about the challenges that people are facing, I'm also hearing these amazing stories about how the community is coming together to support each other in this sort of difficult, dire situation. Oh gosh, there are so many stories. I mean, I, I think, um, one of the things, if I can just, if I can just set a context is that what we've seen this time round in terms of the lockdown in Sydney and in Western Sydney specifically is that people are turning to local place-based trusted community leaders groups and organisations more so than last time. Like we, we always sort of knew this was the case but now what we're seeing is that that's sort of become part of the public narrative which has been really important and local communities are banding together at their local trusted places, not physically of course but as much as they can, be it through phones or be it through digital connection and digital divide of course is another issue. So, for example, we had the Pacifica community in southwestern Sydney really banding together over the last few weeks to uh, set up some walk-in clinics that were based in areas where the Pacifica community was. So, it's about the clinics and the vaccination hubs going to the community, not the community having to go to the hubs, if that makes sense. And what they were able to do was really create this sense of helping each other. They had Pacifica support workers there at the time and they were able to sort of address some of the misinformation, provide support, services, whatever it might have needed. And that was a really successful local initiative that worked. Um, we've got Auburn, which is another area of Western Sydney, the Youth Centre, and they're doing some 
some fantastic staff where young people are coming together to support young people and they're sort of doing skill-based programs as well as social activities, you know, backing that up through wellbeing calls and grocery packs and really unpacking what's going on locally for them as young people and, and especially young people who are experiencing mental health challenges and then being able to address the road to recovery, if you like, in terms of vaccinations. So there are a couple of examples. It's wonderful to hear that because that's happening, Billy. In terms of the cultural diversity and the challenges that presents, because I'd imagine there are different expectations, different cultural norms involved in the way that families interact, the way that the rituals around mealtime and expectations around that are challenged by lockdown. How difficult has that been to A, communicate the need to have a uniform approach to staying away from one another and integrate that into the cultural expectations in these very different communities? Yeah, let me let me just be clear from the outset, and that is just because people don't speak English as their first language, it doesn't mean that they have some sort of, you know, problem, you know, understanding what's going on. We did some research with one of the local migrant resource centres just over the last sort of three or four weeks, and what we found is that people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds are receiving the information, but it is there is a challenge in terms of communities engaging with that information and then, and you know, like it's complex enough. I mean, I'm, you know, I struggle getting my head around it, let alone if you're an older person and you're, you, you, English isn't your first language. So they're receiving it. It's just about how it's being delivered. So in terms of, you know, uh, different cultural norms, now this, it's not homogenous, you know. So when we talk about people from culturally and linguistically diverse communities, it's not homogenous. Just because a community from this area of the world does X, it doesn't mean a, a community from another area of the world. So we need to be clear about that. So when I am hearing stories, they are quite diverse. But one of the things that's clear is that the way that some communities define family is different to the way other communities define family. So family is not just the um, nuclear family of in the Western world as we see it, mum, dad and 2.5 children or whatever it might be. You know, there's the families are larger households. I mean, I you know, households of 10 is common in some communities. Not only that, but the extended family network is, you know, I, I know in my life, if I'm seeing my family, we all have to ring up and make appointments, right? Oh, Sunday at two o'clock, okay. But when I was growing up, that's not how my parents worked. It was, uh, you know, your family lived two doors down. The street was full of at least six households that were cousins, you know, and and so on. So there were different ways that, that I say grew up with my parents and that my children have grown up being third generation Australians. So, you know, there's different ways and just in relation to work as well, getting back to that point of working, no work, no money, you can't feed your kids and pay your bills. Childcare is a real key consideration in that space. So if your sister or your brother or, or whoever it might be who lives two doors down looks after your kids on Tuesday so you can go to work, that is part of the extended family network. So it's all interdependent and interrelated. And I think us thinking, um, seeing this world in this sort of nuclear family arrangement is is can be quite naive if we want to really address what's going on in, in Sydney at the moment. 
Well, Billy, thank you so much for talking to us on the job and we wish you all the very best with the work that you're doing. I know it's a huge challenge, but by the sound of it, uh, you have a a very strong, rich and proud community uh, that is helping one another uh, along and and certainly knows the direction it wants to head in and is very proud of where it comes from and uh, is no doubt going to emerge stronger and better from this pandemic. Thanks for being with us and good luck. Thanks so much, Francis and Sally, and both of you take care as well. Billy Sankovic there, the Chief Executive of the Western Sydney Community Forum with us here on the job. And after this, we're going to speak to a young woman who's living out in Sydney's West to talk about what life is like day to day dealing with the pandemic. On the job, the podcast all about making your working life better. Francis Leach and Sally Rugg with you. Now, Sally, uh, we are talking about life in Western Sydney under lockdown and just how tough it's been and trying to get a real sense of you know, the day-to-day living that people are having to navigate at the moment and, uh, and just how tough it is. Yeah, and as Billy mentioned before, Western Sydney is massive, right? Millions and millions of people, 40% of the New South Wales population. And so as hard as we try, I think unfortunately we're not going to be able to capture the full spectrum of experience in Western Sydney, but we do have someone uh, to talk to who will give a little bit more of an insight, right? Indeed we do. Nicole Hales has joined us. Nicole lives in the uh, the mighty town of Campbelltown in Sydney's west and she's living in lockdown and uh, we got in touch with her through the Western uh, Sydney Community Forum and she's been good enough to have a chat with us on the job today. Hey Nicole, how are you going? Hello, not too bad. How are you all? Yeah, we're okay. We're in lockdown too, so we've got lockdown sympathy going on here. It's a lockdown love-in. But tell us about where you're living and and what what your day-to-day life is like at the moment. Well, very different to what I'm used to. Lockdown is pretty much get up and that's about it. Just dealing with uh, trying not to listen to the news too much because it's same old, same old, constant negative. I'm used to working four days a week. During the day, I'm used to working at night through a side business, keeping myself extremely busy. And at the moment, I'm I'm trying to find things to do is basically what I'm doing. I, and I'm sure a lot of people are doing exactly the same thing. Mm, that's so hard. You can only wash the floors. It is. It really is. Like, you, you don't want to turn the TV on because... That's all you hear about is lockdown and and deaths and go get your COVID shots and people not wanting to get it done. (sighs) I like to be very positive and I try and put positivity into the negatives, but when it's a constant negative, especially on the TV and the radio, I'm struggling, so I try and stay away from it all. But then when you're not watching TV, you're kind of finding activities that you don't generally do, but it's motivation for me. I'm trying to find that motivation to go in the backyard and do some laps of the backyard or do some exercising and but you've I've lost that motivation due to lockdown. I'm so sorry to hear that. It's hard. Yeah. And so have you been stood down from your job that you are working four days a week? Uh yeah. So I work for a social enterprise with a beautiful company, Liverpool Neighbourhood Connections. And I work in a school canteen. Oh, cool. So no school, no canteen. (laughs) And I also work with a youth group, girls in business, and no one's working. So I'm not getting paid because I am a casual. What we work for is trying to make our own money um, and not working no money. So I'm relying on Centrelink benefits at the moment. 
And I must admit, it is a lot harder to rely on Centrelink benefits, but it's also that, um, like, I'm so used to working for my money and working hard. I'm now getting money and I'm like, but I'm just kind of sitting here and I'm grateful for anything, any kind of financial help that I'm getting is amazing. And I think a lot of people take for granted that we're actually getting something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hear a lot of people say, but it's not enough. Yeah, but it's something like at the end of the day, we can put a bit of money on some of our bills and, and may not be able to pay all of it, but we can pay some. You said you're getting this income support, you know, and you haven't done anything, you haven't worked for it. But like what just wanted to point out that like you have earned that because that's your tax money coming back to you, you know, like every paycheck you've received and you've paid tax, it's going towards moments like these where you have to where you have to rely on that support. So I don't know if, if that helps at all, but you have worked for, you've worked for and earned that support the same way most other people who rely on income support also pay taxes at many points in, in their life. And also, even if you've never been able to pay taxes, you shouldn't feel bad about calling on the social safety net when you need to. I try not to. I think from my background, suffering from mental health issues. Um, I didn't work for quite some time and I've been working for about two years getting myself back on track, which has made it a lot harder for me to accept this lockdown. Yeah, of course. I'm all for it. I do understand why it's happening, but it's a lot harder when I just started getting into that groove of routine, like I'm accomplishing things, I'm working hard, I'm giving back to society, I'm giving to other people, to then having to just sit at home and go, okay, so when will this end? Mm -hmm. Like today's numbers are huge. And I woke up to that and just went, ah, okay. I'm not looking at an end, I'm just going to keep going day by day now. It's it's a very good philosophy. The way to get through this is to do that and to know that the value of the work you do has already been invested into those communities. So all that work that you've already done is now paying dividends for those younger people that you've worked with who are also now navigating this. It's because of the sorts of work you do and others are doing that'll give them the tools to do that. Can I ask you about how you're navigating yeah. your family life? Because I know, Nicole, that you've got a sister with kids and, and you know not being able to – trying to follow the rules about who you can and can't go visit and what sort of caring needs they have or if you've got other people in your life who've got caring needs how has that been has that been an added stress for you a hundred percent I'm very family orientated I actually have a brother just to let you know but my sister-in-law is like my sister we're very close it's very hard when I would see them every week I'm staying at my mum's at the moment due to the lockdown knowing that she's by herself I don't want her to to feel the uh, effects of it as much as someone on their own would be And unfortunately, my brother and sister-in-law and my two beautiful nieces are almost 20 kilometres away. So I can't even go there due to the five, I think it's down to five kilometres now. And you're not really meant to go and visit anyone anyway. So there's a lot of um, Facebook, FaceTimes, messages, (laughs) and it's not the same. And I know that because I really am family orientated and so is my family, we, we are all feeling it. Um, even my nine-year-old niece and six-year-old niece uh, the other day talking to me and they were upset and they're like, we just want this COVID to go away so we can have a hug from you, Nicole. And that broke my heart that they're actually feeling this as well. So it's not just the older generation, it's it, it's the kids that are feeling it too. She's, uh, my niece is like, I just want to go in the 
in the um, playground and play soccer with my friends. Yeah. It's not the same when you play with your sister in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So it's it's hard. It really is hard. My grandfather who lives in Burrell, so, um, you know, he's, he's finding it hard because he's on his own. And he's having a few health issues at the moment and I can't even go and help him, which hurts my heart. It really does because I should be able to up and leave and help him out when he needs me. And unfortunately, my family are down here. He's got a handful of my family up there, but we feel bad that we can't do much because we're so far away. And it's because of this... uh wonderful experience that we're all going through and one day we'll be uh, in a book <laughs> for, for the history, but it's hard. Can you tell us how you and your friends are supporting each other? And I know it's the hardest, the hardest time, but it, are, you, are you walking? Are you FaceTiming? How are you all staying connected and lifting each other up? So with me, so far, I think I'm in like week seven or week eight of lockdown. As soon as um, school holidays hit, I was in lockdown. So I, suffering from depression and anxiety, had kind of locked myself away. I didn't know how to deal with all of this, not being able to just go to my friends and say, oh, I need a hug right now, I'm, I'm struggling. But um, a lot of the work colleagues that I do work with are absolutely amazing. I've had that many messages and phone calls. My boss has sent out hampers to all of us because we aren't working Pat Hall is, is my boss and she is absolutely amazing and her, her team are amazing too. They're constantly messaging me. Um, and I class them all as friends as well as work colleagues because they're be a beautiful bunch of women. Um, so it's pretty much messages, just making sure we're all there, letting each other know that, um, you can pick up the phone and talk. I, surprisingly, I do have a phone phobia. Not that you would pick it um, right now, but I do. So I don't generally pick up the phone and call anyone. It's generally through messages and just trying to send some positive affirmations to everyone, letting them know that um, that they're loved, sending virtual hugs. And, uh, and I appreciate what my friends and family have done for me in this time, knowing that it's, it's a little bit, um, uh, a little bit harder when you suffer from depression and anxiety. But I think we're all suffering, whether you do or you don't have any issues. So I'm very grateful. But yeah, positive affirmations, I think, is what's getting me through. And I'll send them to my friends quite often. That's so nice. Making sure they're okay, especially my friends that are parents. And having to homeschool, I think, is a little bit harder for them. But good on them, you know. You, you've just got to make it work and do what you can through these times. It's all you can do. Well, Nicole, we wish you all the very best. And we thank you so much for, for being brave and being honest to share your experience because, as we talked about, often people in the west of Sydney and western suburbs around Australia uh, get talked about, but they don't get spoken with. And we don't hear their voices about what life is really like and what the consequences are. Thank you. Nicole Hale's there with us from Western Sydney telling us very honestly and openly, Sally, about her experience and uh, just how tough it's been. Yeah, and I think you could really hear it in Nicole's voice throughout that chat about how hard it is. Not that any of us sort of need convincing of that. I think a lot of us have been in that situation ourselves or are in that situation ourselves. But, yeah, it was really generous of Nicole to, to share her story and give a bit of depth to these, these issues that we hear about in news bulletins and press conferences and, you know, 
people being referred to as testing numbers and locked down LGAs and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, we're really grateful to Nicole for coming on and, and sharing her story with us. And uh, if you have any concerns or if what we've discussed has uh, raised issues for you, we've got uh, some numbers that are included in our show notes below that uh, will help you get in contact with the services you need to make sure that uh, you're being looked after. So uh, do not hesitate to reach out for help and talk to people and uh, look for some support in these very difficult times. Sally, thanks again. We'll catch you next week on The Job. You can follow Sally at Sally Rogue on the socials. I'm at St. Frankly. Give us a rating on your podcast platform. Helps other people find the show and and we'll talk then Sal. Talk then. Bye.